0: All right, Vanessa, please go ahead with your two questions for Tom. Uh,
1: One of the questions that I have is you talk about the being level a lot. So Mm. you talk about having a very uh, firm, steady intent that comes from the being level. And this makes sense. And I understand that the being level is who you really are, your true self or your I guess you're in terms of MBT, I guess it would be your free will awareness unit kind of uninhibited without the fears that come with playing the avatar role. Guess, no. You-
2: not exactly that. Yeah, how yeah, what's the being level? We'll we'll go there first, okay? The being level is is who you are at the core of your being as opposed to who you think you are or who you want to act like. It's who you really are. So the being level can have fear, does have fear. You can have beliefs and fear and ego down there at that being level. It's not just at all that's in in the intellect. You can have that at the being level as well. It's just you, the quality of you, at the core of you. The intellectual level tends to be who you think you are. You know, we tend to have an image, a self-image of ourselves. And a lot of that self-image is not really the way we are. It's the way we want to be. It's the way we think we should be. It's the way our role models are. And we're kind of modeling ourselves after that. Or some character in a movie that we watched that we thought was a particularly great character. And we try to act that way, you see. And we, we're not really that at all. Most people don't really know who they are at the being level. You know, at the being level when we talk about being um what's the word uh, authentic. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be authentic. What that means is you have to you have to be who you are at the being level. That's who you are when you're authentic. And most of us if I said, well, who, you know, who are you really when you're authentic, when you're just really you at the core, who is that? And most people say, I have no idea who that is because they have so much other stuff going on in their heads. Well, I shouldn't do this. I should do that. You know, just lots of should, could, would, might going on there in their heads. And who they really are hardly ever comes up because they feel, let's say, inadequate or insecure. So now they act in ways that makes them appear to be more secure and more adequate. Well, you know, who are you? If you don't have any of that acting going on, if you're not working at a, to a, to a uh, image of some sort, you know, people try to be nice. They go out of their way to be nice and kind. That's nice. But are they really nice and kind at the being level? Or are they just acting because they think they should? Mom said, be polite. So now they try to act polite and be nice and smile when they're supposed to smile. But is that's really what's happening down inside? Or is there something else going on down there? Well, that's the being level. It's the authentic you. And most of us don't really know what that is. And if somebody says, well, you need to become authentic, just be yourself. Whoever that is, just be yourself. That scares most people because they say, if I'm just going to be myself, you know, nobody's going to like me because I'm not really all that great down inside. The only reason that I have friends and get along is because, I know how to be polite. I know how to smile at the right times. You know, I know that I'm, I've got social skills. And if I just be myself and the hell with the social, social skills, you know, hard to say what, what's down there if I'm just me. And so that's the difference. That's the being level. It's the authentic you without all the skills that you have that are in the intellectual, you know, part of you to have an image.
1: Right. Okay. So it's who you really are, not who you think you should be.
2: Most people feel that way. Yeah. Most people feel that way. Our culture is a very high stress culture that we live in now. You know, it's not like in the days where what you did, you got up in the morning and you went out and watched your sheep. And then when it was night, you know, you locked your sheep in the barn and you went and, you know, went to bed. You got up in the morning you got out and you let your sheep out. Sheep out of the barn. You watched your sheep, you know, and that's what you did, you know. And uh, you know, you made hay and you put it in a barn. And things were simple. You had a simple life. It didn't have the kind of stresses. The stresses you had then was just surviving, you know. And your sheep surviving and your family surviving. That was the main stress. Today we have a lot of psychological stresses that they, that weren't there then, and we don't have so many survival stresses. Those are kind of gone. Most of us don't worry about starving to death. You know, that's not an issue here in our country anyway. Not well it is for a few people, but not many. Most of the people we know aren't worried about starving to death. So that's not a big issue with us. But we have all these psychological stresses going on all the time. And we tend to meet those psychological stresses with psychological plans for dealing with them. And that's all this stuff going on up in our head. That's not really us. So back in the days when your stresses were all survival, everybody knew exactly who they were. And there was not a big difference there between the intellectual level and the being level. But in our world, there's a huge difference.
1: Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And where I'm going, I feel like I'm getting more in touch with my being level. Um, and trying to identify the ego and that that's not who I really am. It's just an ego image that I'm creating. And so my question is, how do I, how do I get my intent at that being level? So specifically my intent, and I feel like this, my intent, like my whole life pretty much has been to be healthy. Um, Yet I, it's such a big challenge in my life that I'm, I'm never consistent with it. I'll go away maybe months and then I'll fall off the wagon and be unhealthy for months. So how do I get that intent at the being level so that I actually follow through with this?
2: Well, that is a good question. And what you'll find is that when you have that intent at the being level, which isn't answering your question yet, how do you get it? But when you have that intent at the being level, it's easy not to fall off the wagon. It's easy to stick to it. If you are somebody who's addicted, whether it's to sugar or to cigarettes or whatever, if you're an addict of some sort, and it might even be carbohydrates or junk food or who knows what, uh, you know, nicotine, the smokers or caffeine, you know, coffee drinkers and soda drinkers. If you've got addictions of some sort, if you really want to get over that addiction at the being level, you will and the... the um, you know, the, what do we call it, the uh, withdrawals won't be much at all. They'll be trivial, almost no withdrawals. So you may have smoked your entire life. And if at the bean level, you really want to get over it, you just stop and the withdrawals are small. On the other hand, if you're a smoker, and you say, I should quit. I really need to quit. Nobody in my family smokes now. You know, it stinks. You know, people, I can see people walking away, you know, to get away from me because, you know, I stink. And it's a bad habit. And it's not good for my lungs. And da, 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 da. I really should quit. That's not a being level. That's an intellectual level. You'll yeah. try to quit. You'll have terrible withdrawals. And you'll probably not succeed. You'll fall off the wagon somewhere and you'll go back. And start doing it again. So once you get it to that being level, it's a trivial thing to do. Until you get it to that being level, it's a really hard thing to do. So my guess is if you keep falling off that wagon, it's because you want to do it because you think you should, not because you really want to do it. (coughs) So now your question, how do you get it down there in that being level to where you really want to do it? Well, you have to I'd say meditate on it, see where it goes. You know, look at your look at your long term. Say, all right, if I keep, you know, drinking sodas or taking caffeine or smoking cigarettes or, you know, taking drugs or whatever anybody might do, where's the what's the long term benefit of that and the long term downside? If you see that the that the how it affects your life. Well, it, you know, does this in my life. It costs me money, you know, so I spend some of my resources on my habits. Um, You know, it does other sorts of things. And if you have, if you come to a conclusion that, yeah, but it makes me more social because whenever I go places, everybody drinks and, you know, everybody smokes or everybody drinks coffee at work. And, you know, so if it kind of solves some of your problems, it's social lubrication, you know, for all the people. If you have those ideas, then you have to come to the conclusion of whether that's more important or the health aspects you'll have 10 years from now or 20 years from now or 50 years from now. You know, what is it doing to my body? What is it doing to my mind? How does it cloud my mind? You know, what is it doing to my meditations? And eventually you'll have to come to a place where you make a choice. All right, here's all the reasons to do it. Here's all the reasons not to do it. Which do I want to do? Because if you just try to trick yourself and say, oh, I need to stop smoking, but really it's a social thing. And, you, you know, you have a lot of friends that are smokers and, you know, then you're not really decided not to smoke. You just think you should. That's the problem. So you need to really make a choice. And when you make that choice, it's, it's done. You don't go back. You don't need to review it. It's done. And at that point you can do it and you won't fall off the wagon because you won't want to. So if you make that choice, you don't want to pick up that cigarette or that sugar or that, you know, whatever it is. Again, you just look at it and it's like, no, I don't want to go there. And you really feel that at an innate being level, then you won't do it. So yeah, you have to get it at the being level and then you can walk away easily. If you don't have it at the being level, you walk away, and you've got this like elastic string that keeps pulling you back and pulling you back, and eventually uh, it overcomes you, and then you're back in it again.
1: Yeah, and I can definitely relate to that because I started smoking cigarettes at like 13, and then and I wanted to quit when I turned about 20, um, but it must have been at the intellectual level because it took me about 10 years till I finally did quit. Um, and then when I quit, it was like a piece of cake no withdrawals or anything um and then with sugar when i did quit i quit on New year's eve i quit sugar and and there was no withdrawals and i felt amazing and and i felt so good about myself and and then i had one little bite of something that had sugar because i wanted to test to see if it would like mess with my consciousness and it didn't uh-huh. really and i was like oh, oh maybe i should have more sugar and more sugar and now i'm back with sugar. <laughs> Yeah. I'll get, I'll get I just
2: need your patience. Well, guess. it's it's um yeah, it's difficult. You know, it's hard to and the thing is we're so we're social creatures and we tend to do what the people around us do. That's just kind of right. our nature as a social being. So when you have this idea that you just want to quit, you have to have it and be willing to be different that way than other people. So when everybody else goes out and drinks, then you drink water or you drink, uh, you know, fruit juice or something else. But you get just as happy and just as crazy and, you know, have just as much fun as, as anybody else. You see, you don't have to sit there and be a bump on the log while everybody else laughs and have fun. You know, you don't need to be inebriated to have fun. You can have fun without it. And you just need to give yourself the permission to, you know, to still have fun. And, uh, while you're drinking fruit juice and everybody will make fun of you. Ah, oh, look, you know, Vanessa's drinking fruit smoothies, you know, we're all, we're all having champagne, you know, uh, but, uh, that's all right. You just have to accept that, That you, that's you. And that's what you want to be and not let that bother you. Everybody else is going to eat sugar. You're in a world full of sugar addicts. If you stop eating sugar everywhere you go, there's going to be sugar you're going to go to somebody's house and they're going to offer you food with sugar and people be pushing cookies at you and donuts and everything's going to happen. And you say, no, no, thanks. No, thanks. No, thanks. Makes you look a little odd and you're not fitting in. And you know, you have to decide that that's, it's worth it. If you don't decide it's worth it, then you'll never make it.
1: And it was worth it for the seven weeks that I did it. It was totally worth it. I felt really good about myself because I felt strong that I was able to just be like, No, I don't even want that. I want, you know, this glass of water and uh, some spinach or something. I just, the healthy traces made me feel really good about myself. That actually brings me into the other question I had, and it was around hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming. Mm -hmm. Uh, Somebody recommended, a a few of my friends, they took a course in in hypnosis and NLP work, and they suggested that I see somebody to help me get rid of my sugar addiction. so I just wanted to hear what your thoughts are on hypnosis and how it works, because I know you say the subconscious, they're just our fears. So how does this? Well, you know,
2: it, it'll, it can help. It depends. What it does is it gives you a suggestion. Hypnosis puts a suggestion, an idea into your mind. In a hypnotic state, you become very open to suggestion. Okay, You're very willing to follow that suggestion. Um, so if you have that suggestion, that may help you do things, you know, it does help some people, let's say quit smoking or whatever, because in their mind, they've got this suggestion, but at the, at the bottom level, you still have to choose, you know, to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to do it, hypnosis isn't going to make you do it. It's not a forcing function. It's just a, it gives you a suggestion and the, the, um, NLP, that uh, that's basically trying to understand what the forcing functions are in your life, where where you are coming from. That that's almost a ways of of discovering kind of what your modes of operation are, why you do the things you do, and how you how you function at a level kind of beneath your intellectual level. And try to work at things at that level, and that can help too. But again, if you don't decide that's what you want to do, it won't work. It might be helpful, but at the end, it's only your decision that's going to work. Mm-hmm. So if you try those things and they help you, good. But they may not help you if you really don't want to. You know, if. If, if you're really going to eat sugar and that's because you have reasons why you do that, because everybody else does, somebody brings donuts to the office every morning and uh, everybody sits around and eats sugar and, you know, drinks coffee and you want to be part of that group. So you want to do that. Then none of those things are going to help you.
1: Hmm. Okay. So is it just uh, hypnosis is what that's doing? Is it, Putting you in this really kind of meditative state, and then un getting, uncovering those fears that you call are just our subconscious. Because I know how you um, say this. Yeah,
2: it's not so much that you're that you're not in a meditation state. You're basically in a in a state where you. Well, I don't know. This is not a, this is not a precise metaphor, but it's a rough metaphor where you give. A portion of your own will up to the hypnotherapist to the person that's hypnotizing you and then you follow their suggestions and they can lead you places say now maybe they're going to regress you to when you were three years old and they can regress you regress you there they tell you you're three years old now you're in school three years old in daycare look around and see what you see and you'll okay. start you'll start pulling things out oh look that's you know Joey Simpson, yeah, I remember him, you know uh, da, da da da, and all this data can come back that otherwise you wouldn't have remembered because they basically take you there by manipulating your will, so now you give part of your free will choice to them, they lead you places, ask you to see things, and become aware of things, and they could ask you well. How do you feel, you know, maybe to become aware of a fear, you know, where did you first start to have this phobia? You know, well, you'll tell them they'll take you back to that spot and try to relive that experience. And now maybe it'll come out what it was that started that phobia. So they're good at that kind of a thing. It's not really a meditation state. It's you let somebody else take direction of your process of where you're going. And because somebody else is doing it, it's steady and clear. It's not like in meditation, you have to have control over your own mind and be steady and clear and focused. Well, now you don't, you're just giving your up to somebody else and the hypnotist has to be clear and focused. You see, but it's easy for them because they're not involved in it. They're doing it all out of their intellect. If you do it out of your intellect, it ruins your meditation state. It doesn't work anymore. So now you're saying, all right, I'll just let them do it. Let them do it out of their intellect and I'll stay at the being level and just follow their lead. So that's basically what's going on. And you have to willfully do that. You know, if you don't want to be hypnotized, the hypnotist isn't going to hypnotize you. If you resist it, it's not like it's something they do to you that you can't help. You have to, you have to go along with it. If you will, you have to, um, go, you know, you have to, you, you know, you have to be open to it and let them have that control. But you can find things out. It's like somebody else is leading you in a meditation. Somebody else's intellect is leading your meditation. It's that kind of a thing. And you're just sitting there at the being level without thinking because you don't think now. They're thinking for you. You're giving up your thinking to them. So that leaves you at the being level and them in charge of where to take you. That's profitable for people who can't do that on their own. Because if they try to do it, they get all wadded up in their intellect because, you know, they uh, don't like certain things or do like certain things. And and it it doesn't work so well if you try to use your intellect to, you know, direct your meditation. Meditation is more of a being level thing.
1: Right. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you for that.
0: All right, Tom, we'll we'll move on to some other questions here. We have a question from Dom, and the question is, my question is pertinent to acquiring data from another reality frame. My specific intent is receiving guidance from the LCS. Upon using the binaural beat-guided method to put the body asleep, I momentarily black out, and there was some sort of non-sensory information input perceived in other. It comes in the form of combined overlay of shape and form and some sort of feeling. But upon reengaging the intellect after processing the data, I can't make any sense of it. He's asking, is this because A, the information is non-sensory and there are inadequate physical metaphors to describe it in that reality frame? Or B, my consciousness is cloudy and not capable of processing the information?
2: It would be helpful if he would give an example rather than just describe. It would make it easier for me to uh, to answer that question. I just say that in general for other people putting in questions. An example is is much better than uh, than a description because a description I have to try to figure out what it is that you in particular mean with the words that you use. Uh, an example is more straightforward. But a couple of th- things I could suggest. Um, It could be that you're having experiences that you just can't interpret, but it could be that what you're getting is mostly noise, mostly random pieces of thoughts, if you will, pieces of experience that are just kind of randomly being picked out. And then they just are nonsense. It's not that you can't understand them. They just, it's nonsense. That's possible that you get that too. Depends on, what your intent is, how focused that intent is, and how successful you are letting go of thoughts in your your meditation. Another possibility is that things that you find nonsensical may be a doorway to something more meaningful if you engage them. When you are looking for information of some sort and you... Get into a meditation state. You may see things that just look stupid. You know, one of my favorites is, is you know, a, a, a six-foot-tall rabbit, you know, with, you know, leaning against a big daisy, you know, things like that. And you'll look at it and you'll say, oh, something at a Disney, uh, you know, movie, uh, silly thing, and you'll just blow it off and say, no, I want something important. You know, that's, I don't, you know, I don't relate to that. And you'll move on. You just won't engage it engage it no matter how silly it is no matter how whatever you just see a box well go to the box go inside the box move your consciousness you know uh, you know the uh, you know, the um, you know be one with the box you know be one with the daisy and the rabbit uh, go engage it and see what it's about talk to it feel it become one with it go inside of it and often you will find that that triggers something else that's a doorway of some sort and if you engage with it the scene will automatically change and you'll be someplace else doing some other thing well then engage with that and you may if you keep in your mind what it is you want to know the information you're trying to get then eventually you are likely to end up a place where you get that answer whether that answer is in words or whether it's in pictures or something else you'll have to figure that out but you often will eventually get to it but not necessarily right away these um you know if if you look at it at the at the rabbit and the daisy and you blow it off because it's silly now you are engaging your intellect your intellect has come has judged it and judged it to be silly Well, if you're working out of your intellect, then the system really can't work with you very well. You need to work out of your being level, which means you have to experience it. Not just look at it and have the intellect judge whether it's important or not. You have to experience it. Get out of your intellect and get in to your being level and experience it. Feel it. Become it. And when you do that, you're engaging it with your being level. And that's when things begin to happen. So one thing will lead to the next leads to the next and you have a very interesting time if you just go out there and your intellect is wide awake waiting for something to happen probably nothing will happen you know what are you expecting you know scrolls you know to come by with writing on them or somebody to speak to you that's what your intellect will accept they won't accept anything else other than conversation because or written you know, a written page, because that's the way you take in information. That's what your intellect wants. Well, if you're sitting there waiting for an intellectual conversation, the system probably isn't going to engage you. Now, not that it can't and not that it won't sometimes, but mostly not. It wants to engage you at the being level. And in order to engage you at the being level, you have to interact with it at the being level, not at the intellectual level. So that's... You know, I guess some advice. Interact with whatever you have. Be it. Connect to it. And see where that leads you.
0: That's interesting, Tom. The next question is about experience packets in the past database. If my understanding is correct, then in theory, we should be able to go into the past database and relive one of our past lives and try to make different choices this time to see how things would have ended up differently. Or we could go into the past database and relive the life of another person that we haven't lived before to see how we would handle being in that person's situation. Even though all of this would take place in a database and it would be a, an unactualized, <clears throat> I think it still could be a very useful learning tool. Is this possible? And if so do <clears throat> and if so, do our ULCs often make use of this opportunity? Also, if this does happen, then could I be unknowingly reliving a life that I have actually already lived many times before?
2: <laughs> uh, not likely to that very last question. and uh, That's not very likely because it doesn't work exactly like that. Yes, this database is, it's like being there. When you do that, it's like you're a character in the movie. You're watching a movie, but you're also a character in the movie. It, it's sort of both, you have both perspectives. At the same time, because you're getting the data as well as uh, the overall data, the big picture data where you're a character in the movie, but you're also the character making choices within the context of the movie. So you're both of those perspectives at the same time. Now, when you use the data, well, the first question you said was, is this possible? Yes, that's possible. You can do that sort of thing. But when you do, you go in with a specific plan that you want to accomplish, you want to find out a certain thing. If you just go in there without a plan, well, I'm just gonna go in and see what that's like. Well, nothing much will happen. The database needs query, it needs information, it needs what it is you need to know. It needs some direction in order to give you answers, in order to give you data that's gonna make sense to you and answer your question. So first you have to go in with some idea what you want to accomplish. Then what will happen is that you will say, interact. Let's say you go back to a past life, like you are like you said, and you, you're playing yourself in that situation, but you make a different choice. Now, in your intent, you could say, I'd like to see how that choice plays out, what the difference would be had I made choice A or choice B instead of choice A. In real history, I made choice A. Now I'm going to go back and make choice B and i'd like to see where that leads me well it's not going to put you in your life at that choice and then run through linear time from then on because it may take you 20 years before you get to the point where it's really clear what difference it's going to make you see and you're not going to be there in that life for 20 years you know even on fast forward you know to do that it's too much time so what'll happen is you'll go to the point where you make the choice you'll see that very clearly you'll make choice b instead of choice A that you had made in history, and then you'll start skipping through and seeing little bits of pictures of that, results of that change in choice. Now you'll see yourself three years later doing something, and you'll realize that, oh, the reason I'm there and not where I really was is because of that choice I made. I see the connection now, how that would have led me over here. And then maybe 10 years after that, you'll see another vignette that will show you a major difference in your life because of that choice. And you can back up and say, yeah, well, okay, that's good. But what about what it did with that relationship? And then it'll go over and it'll show you that. So, see, you have to be an interactive part of this process. And it will just give you pieces. You're not going to relive the life every second of it, second by second you know, for the next 20 years to see what the what the difference is, unless you only want to know what's the difference in the next two minutes. You know, how much difference did it make if I did B, you know, in the next two minutes? Then you might just live that two minutes, second by second. But mostly that's not what we want. We want to see big picture differences. What? How would my life have been substantially different? Well, in that case, it's going to show you over, you know, it depends on how old you are, you know, it may show you over another 20, 30, 40 years, how your life is would have been significantly different. Also know that it's only probability. It's only showing you what would probably have happened if you had made choice B instead of choice A. You're not actually, you'll never know whether that's actually what would have happened or not, but that was just what's most likely. And the further out it goes in time, the fuzzier and less reliable you know, the probability is. So keep that in mind. So it's not likely that you're in one of those lives, you know, living it second by second, you know, day after day. That's not how the system works. Uh, The system will only do that for you if you only are interested in a couple of minutes. If you're interested, maybe a couple of hours, but if you're interested in seeing how it affected your life and the outcome of your life, you know, what kind of career you had, who you would end up marrying you know where do you live now were you rich or poor did you die young or old you know for that because of that choice then it'll tell you those kinds of things and you'll just jump the little pieces of the picture that show you those things and you have to direct what it is you really want to see so you need to go with a plan and you need to stay involved i can't stress that enough when you're doing these sort of mental things don't go as a voyeur if you just go like, okay, I want to I find out about this. And now you just expect to sit back and have somebody tell it to you. You know, it's like somebody walk in a room and, and you know, hand you a, a book to read. It won't work that way. You have to stay interactive with it. You have to go be part of the rabbit and the flower. You have to interact. You have to make choices. You have to guide it. Oh, wait a minute. Are you sure that had to happen? You know, let's back that up a little bit. Let me see the, the vent chain, the causal chain that led to that. And it will. It'll back up and it'll show you how the ball bounced that got you to that probability. So you have to be interactive with it and uh, not just go in as a voyeur, uh, you know, sitting down in a, in a classroom and waiting somebody to come out and give you a lecture. It doesn't work like that. It's an experience. And you have to guide the experience and make the, make the queries and the choices.
0: All right, Tom. Uh, the next question is from Adam. And this has to do with uh, life lessons during each decade of your life. You often say that growth is usually a slow, incremental process and that it's truly noticeable only when you look back a few years. I can confirm this with my own experience. Wow, what has changed since 10 years ago? I can also see that there are some lessons and challenges that I have persisted and not gone away in that time as well. Can you please share the major lessons you learned in your lifetime? If possible, can you review the important things you learned during each decade of your life, 20s, 30s, 40s? What are your biggest challenges now? And the lessons you feel are important to your growth now?
2: Yeah, in 25 words or less. No, that would take me days to do that. And probably take me a few days to think about it, much less to say it. Uh, That's a... bit of a handful to do, but I would refer you to something that I did that was similar to that. And if you look on YouTube, you will find that one of the talks there, uh, I talked about, and I I think, I don't know if I have it on the forum or not, I don't recall, but I talked about uh, 15, I think there were 15 aha moments that I Putting, I don't think they're in any special order, but maybe they were more chronological as I got to them, kind of chronological order as they happened to me. And it's kind of fifteen different things that kind of made a change, made a a big change in where I was going. You know, like I'm heading off in this direction, and then I, you know, take a bear off to go to a different direction after that. So that's out there, and it uh, shouldn't take you too much uh, trouble to to dig that up. I did it some years ago. Uh, Blue Sky Symposium was where I first did it, and you probably can find the, the Blue Sky Symposium talk someplace. Um, anyway, I go, I go look at YouTube and see if you can't come up with that because that's very close to what you asked for, and that's only 15, so that's not every decade of my life. But um, it's, it's close to what you wanted. A It's of, sort of my, a list of my aha moments, if you will that were important realizations that I had along the way.
0: Okay, Tom, I'll find those and I'll put the links there when this video is posted. Um, He says also, can you share what important lessons you learned that were from primarily MPMR experience and what lessons were primarily from PMR? Is that also answered within those others?
2: Um, Yeah, I suspect that's answered within those others. The thing is, it's mm-hmm. not that separate. It's not that separate. It's not like you learn things in NPMR and learn things in PMR. You learn things in both of those things together. Stuff that you learn in PMR reflects on things, that experiences you have in NPMR and vice versa. So it's all more of an integrated whole thing than it is a, oh, I learned this there and I learned this here. It's not typically like that. It's experiences everywhere and all the realities that you're in tend to, um you know, work together to give you those aha moments it's not just one way or the other. Um, so that would be that would be a harder one to do because it doesn't actually work that way. The two things aren't that separate. You are really one person having lots of different kinds of experience, and all those experiences uh, together end up making these aha moments.
0: All right, Tom, thank you. A question from Wolfgott. Dear Tom, at the time of my writing of the following questions, I've studied your work for a little over two years. Understanding MBT has improved my life very much, and I can only be grateful for your sharing of this astonishing body of work. Thank you for publishing your MBT trilogy and for the hundreds of hours of YouTube videos you've made available to the public. To find MBT was, for me, a long and difficult process in searching for a spiritual path i made many mistakes i got caught in belief traps and did some very stupid things in my next incarnation i'd like to again find mbt or whatever equivalent name it might be under in other reality frames but i'd like to find it sooner than i have in this incarnation wouldn't we all have it is possible for me to plan my next is it possible for me to plan my next incarnation such that i would find mbt quickly in it If so, how can this be done?
2: Well, it's possible. Uh, You can at least make that request. You can say, you know, this really helped (laughs) me get the bigger picture, and I'd like to be, you know, in a situation where that's available again. And maybe you would get that request if that seemed like it was a good not, you know, a good thing for you to do. But that doesn't mean that, you know, the book would be lying in your crib, you know, waiting for you to grow up. You know, it's not like that, you know, you're still going to have to figure it out and find it and make the right query on the, you know, in Google and, you know, you have to have an interest in it that will bring you to it and bring it to you. And if the system really wants to, you know, it might just arrange to have a copy of the book, you know, fall off a shelf someplace, you know, and land on your big toe and give you a, uh, you know, give you a message you know sometimes the system will do that but mostly we have to we have to take the steps to make it happen you know so i doubt you're going to get something that it's going to fall in your lap but you could you could request that it's at least it's a time where some kind of information like that's available but almost any time information like some of that is available i mean if you think over the last 4000 years there's almost always somewhere been some people who had a real good understanding of the nature of reality you know the metaphors may be different but uh, there's always been at least a few people around who went inside and explored they explored their consciousness and if you do that you eventually come out with the same answers so it's not like you have to be in the 21st century where you know virtual reality is a, is a really a, a social thing now we understand that in terms of games That'll help from a VR perspective, but that wasn't necessary for the Buddha to come to the conclusion that this reality, you know, was a virtual reality or was an illusion, as he said. You know, he figured it out with without any of that. He just couldn't use the word virtual reality because that wasn't in his, in his vocabulary or in his concept set. There's always been times when that's been available. So if you make a request to be somewhere where you bump up against that, then maybe you'll have the opportunity to grab hold of that as a choice or you might just walk by it and say, "Ah, oh, what a bunch of nonsense, <laughs> go on and do something else. You know, it's hard, it's hard to say what you'll do at the time, or maybe be born into a family that has, uh, attitudes and beliefs that understand big pictures. You know, maybe that would give you a, a step up, but mostly you just have to figure it out each time, but you've got the basics from what you learn this time, those basics will still be there next time. So it'll be easier for you to make the connection next time. And just because you got it later rather than sooner, eh, you know, it's what you do with it that's important. So it'll all work out.
0: All right, that's awfully good news, Tom. Um, He also asks, finally, among reality frames, how common is knowledge of MBT? (laughs) <laughs> I think
2: <laughs> yeah, in different reality frames, well, MBT only exists as far as I know it in this reality frame. MBT is it's written and embodied in my three books. You know, that's here. That's part of this reality frame. Although there's like I say, there's been things like it forever. You know, the the same material with different metaphors has been around. It's just been poetry, and sometimes then it turns into religion, then it turns into dogma, and other sorts of nonsense gets hooked to it. But these ideas have come and gone uh, all over the place. You know, most uh, even most of our religions today have what are called um, mystical sects, you know, like the Sufi, um, the Kabbalah. Um, I don't know. There's lots of there's lots of those. I guess we could come up with the Gnostics in Christianity. They they have these groups that were called mystics, mainly because they didn't really uh, care much for the dogma of the main religion. They cared for bigger pictures, and being mystics just means that they went on to try to understand things beyond, um, you know, the physical. They were looking for bigger and bigger pictures. So you'll find that those kinds of groups have been around and are still around, uh, but they've been around since the, you know, since the very beginning. so that's always going to be available to you really wherever you, wherever you are, you'll find that available so Just, MBT in spirit, not in, in fact, has been available and, and probably is available in all reality frames and has been available in this reality frame pretty much for all time. So it's always there. You just have to find it and connect to it.
0: So there are beings in other reality frames that are aware of a bigger picture, some more than others.
2: Yeah, some more than others. That's just the nature of reality. And Anybody who spends enough time exploring inner space will come up with pretty much the same ideas. But they'll put them in entirely different metaphors because they live in different cultures, you know, different times. So the metaphors can be very different. But uh, what they run into is going to be very similar.
0: All right. The next question comes from Event Horizon. on Losing sight during lucid dreams. I'm involved in a lucid dreaming forum. A common problem that comes up for people is that sometime after they become lucid, they struggle with their vision and i think you were talking somewhat about this in a in a in a different way this ranges from blurriness darkness missing fields of vision or complete blindness as they struggle to regain sight it gets worse until they snap out of the lucid dream state mm-hmm. this is something i struggled with as well until i got i learned to forget about having eyes and instead focus my intent on receiving visual information
2: yes, what so drives this what, phenomenon yeah what's driving the phenomenon is a uh is a, uh, a little struggle going on between the being level and the intellect. The intellect wants to see something and wants it clear. It wants to see it like it does here. And the intellect sometimes worries about, is what I'm seeing real or am I making it up? So the intellect has that problem. It has a fear problem of making it up. It also has a problem. It wants to see it. It wants it linear. You know, if it wants to read something word by word, that sort of thing. And that's not the way you, you get information when you're in the non-physical, a lucid dream or out of body or even in a meditation. What you get are ideas and concepts. Okay? You get paragraphs, sometimes chapters, maybe even books all of the time. You just get a big download and suddenly you understand this big thing. And that's the way telepathy works. Telepathy comes in chunks of understanding, not in linear streams. And if you're sitting there looking and looking for linear streams, you'll, you won't you will find them. You'll be frustrated. And you won't be open to the big chunks because you're looking for linear streams is what you're used to. So that's one problem. And the, the other problem is that you have a fear that what you see is not real. And that fear then makes you question it. And as you question it, it gets you out of that state and it makes it foggy. You can't really see it. If you could see it, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell whether it's real or not. And the whole cycle gets to be a problem. So what you need to do is tell that intellect to stop trying to see things. Just experience it. Just experience it. Let go of the idea that you want to look. It's not eyes. You don't have eyes there. You get information. There are no eyes to look through when you're not in this body, when you're in some other reality frame. It's just information. And then you get to interpret that information based on your experience base, based on your knowledge, based on your fear, based on your beliefs, based on your understanding. You're going to interpret that information. So know that you get information and you get to interpret it. That interpretation is probably not entirely accurate. It's in terms of metaphors. It's pattern matching. You'll get information. You'll try to match it to a pattern. Don't try to second guess the pattern. Don't try to, to force the process. It has to happen by itself. If you want to see the effort and having your intellect say, I want to see will be exactly the thing that will make you not see. And the more you want to see, the less you'll see. And if you really, really want to see, you'll be blind totally. You know, that's the point. Your intellect's getting in in charge, trying to force a particular result, visual result. And that's what blocks it. So just relax. Let go of it. Stop trying to see. Just experience. Your experiences will just come to you. Experience them. And don't judge them. Just experience it, whatever it is. And do that until you have enough information, until you've done it a hundred times. And now you can start bringing out some judgment of, does it help? Are you getting anywhere? Is it making sense? But don't try to judge every little thing that happens as to how much sense it makes. Just go experience whatever you get. That will make everything a lot easier. It's, you're trying too hard, and you're trying to enforce eyes in a place where there are no eyes.
0: Okay, Tom, we have a question from Michael. He starts off with saying, thank you very much in advance. I'm grateful that you spend the time every month to run the Fireside Chat. <clears throat> thank you to Oliver as well. Why is it that intent modifies probability in PMR? That's physical matter reality. I understand how in more fluid non-physical matter realities, manifestation is instantaneous and intent is the main tool to operate there. But why in PMR? Why not have just direct action as the only way to affect the environment? It's so delayed that very few people on this planet even become aware of intense creative power anyway. It is a design, is it as a does, here we go. Good luck, Justin. Is it a design feature or is it somehow always inherent to consciousness?
2: Uh, both of those. It is a design feature and it is inherent to consciousness. When you're in, say, an out-of-body, your intent manifests very quickly. That's true. That's because you have no rule set that has to be met. The things that that uh, that if you man- try to manifest something in this PMR – then it also has to meet the constraints of the rule set. And that adds a lot of constraints to it, right? If what you want to do is, you know, see an elephant, you know, in, in Grand Central Park, you know, in New York, then there has to be some causal chain there. You're not likely to just manifest an elephant standing in a park, or if you do, you'll be the only one that can see it. You see, but if you're going to get one that everybody sees, well, that needs the rule set, needs a causal chain to get it there. Well, they can't do that just because you decide one day that you want to see an elephant walking around in Grand Central Park. So if you worked on it over months and months and months and years, maybe, you know, some truck or something that was moving elephants between the zoo would, you know, fall over and an elephant would get out and walk through the park and you'd see it. But now it has a causal chain that allows it to happen according to the rule set. <clears throat> so that's the difference. When you go to places where you don't have much of a rule set, then uh, whatever you manifest can manifest rather quickly. It doesn't have a whole lot of other constraints to have to satisfy first. So it is a basic idea of the way consciousness works. Consciousness tends is, is a co-creator. You are a co-creator you know with the system now the reason that it's like that and and the kind of the point of it is that it's feedback it's feedback because we're co-creators then look around what you see that's who we are you see your your life is a is a, a reflection of the person living it things that happen to you the things you know the, the things that you connect with or don't connect with they're all part of your choices you are the sum total of all your choices those choices help modify your reality to give you back what you intend so what you have to deal with is where you is is the reality you are helping to co-create now you co-create in two very strong ways and in several lesser ways. The one strong way is what we're just talking about. You move future probability, you change future probability, and make what you intend more likely to happen. Okay, so the things that happen in your life have a bias toward reflecting your intent. That's feedback. That's your co-creation. Another way that you co-create your reality is you get to interpret the data you get. You always get data, could be from the larger conscious system. It could be from some other IUOC or free will awareness unit. It could be from your own mind. You could create it. You also can create data. Those data streams are not marked. You'll never know for sure where any data is coming from, whether it's from the LCS or your imagination. You won't know that for certain with practice and experience, you can know that more and more than you do if you don't have the experience. So, But you'll never get to the point that it's certainty. You'll never get to a probability one. Oh, I know that that came from this. You might say, oh, I'm 99.999% sure it came from this, but you never know for sure. So there's no certainty there. In the beginning, it's like 50-50. <laughs> I don't have an idea where it came from. You know, I have no idea. I'm lost here. Where, you It know, could have come from anywhere. Who knows? But with experience, you'll get to where you'll kind of have a sense of the source of your data, which you'll never know for sure. So you get to interpret that data based on your own understanding of reality, your own experience, knowledge, fear, beliefs, everything in there. That's how you interpret it. Well, how you interpret it is your reality. That is your reality. So you get to create your own reality based on how you interpret it. See, if somebody says something to you and you interpret that as an insult, it doesn't matter that the person doing it to you didn't intend an insult. You hear an insult, then you're insulted. You see, that's your reality. You were just insulted. That's how you interpret it. Your reality is however you interpret it. We all live in our own unique reality. So those are two very strong ways in which you affect the reality in which you live. You think perhaps that this reality is just out there. It's outside of you and has nothing to do with you, and you just get to interact with it. It's not like that at all. You help create that reality that you're interacting with it. Your intent helps create it, and your interpretation helps create it. You. You. you have a large hand in creating the reality that you live in and you don't like that reality. Well, you have a hand, you can change it. See? So yeah, that's, it works that way for two reasons. Naturally consciousness works that way, but two, it's good feedback. And a schoolhouse like this one that we're in this PMR schoolhouse works better with feedback. You don't give the students any feedback. They never know what works and what doesn't. And yes, it takes some time, a long time for the feedback to occur. But we're not talking about intellectual choices, intellectual decisions. We're talking about things at the being level, things that you learn slowly. So if it takes months or months or even years for that feedback to, to settle, to, for you to notice it, well, it's okay. You get to notice it then because it's at the being level and these are big trends you're working on. You don't get it from every intellectual choice. You get it at the being level in terms of major things that, you know, create aha moments or that you that you learn from. So it's not it's not so bad that it takes a long time for that feedback to come back. It's uh, not a quick situation. We just confuse ourselves that it came back much faster. We'd start gaming the system instead of just being who we are.